Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Chimak Karsandu from Toronto in Canada. Looking back, what a pretty busy weekend of fights in the world of mixed martial arts. Sandu, first off, how's your weekend been? Mate, this is one of the best weekends uh, if you're a combat sports fan. We had, heading into the weekend, PFL, Bellator. You had UFC on Saturday, which timing-wise worked out great for everyone over on your side of the pond, everyone in the UK and Ireland. I think things were done by like midnight or so. Uh, for me, I was done with my shift at about 7, 8 o'clock in the evening. Rolled right into a Lomachenko fight, rolled right into a Devonta Davis fight. I mean, there was a lot of combat sports going on uh, over the course of the weekend. And uh, yeah, like I said, it was just great to be done with work by like 8 o'clock in the evening. I'm like, oh my God, I've got the rest of my Saturday night ahead of me. So happy days. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty packed, all things considered. Plus the fact that, you know, we've got the Euro still going over here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, England are still in it playing Germany on Tuesday. By the time some of you people actually listen to this, uh, England may already have played Germany in the Euros. And uh, for those of you who aren't that well up on football history, this is about as big a match as England can find themselves in right now. But looking at the draw, Sandy, we get past them, the draw looks absolutely wide open. Football might just be coming home. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to say it, but, you know, it might be coming home. I saw that. I saw everyone piping up on social yesterday when uh, the other results kind of came through with regards to the potential path to the final for England. And then I thought to myself, actually, hang on a second. Let's not get too excited. We're playing Germany. We're playing Germany on Tuesday. You talk about 1996 and Gareth Southgate missing that penalty. And here he is 25 years later managing the country. And he's going to be playing his team, his squad, against Germany at Wembley. I mean, you cannot script this stuff. And, and in fact, when that you know fixture you know presented itself, I actually went back, and I know you've seen this, but a few years ago, the BBC did a fantastic retrospective uh, documentary. It was kind of Alan Shearer's Euro 96, where he kind of went back and spoke to uh, Teddy Sheringham and Gaza, Paul Ince, Terry Venables, um, just looking back at that England team um, and their campaign at Euro 96 and all the memories of me as a kid watching that came came you know flying back to me. And this is a big one, and especially for, I guess, England fans of a certain age that really felt the pain of the World Cup in 1990 and, and yeah. especially um, Euro 96. And what, like I said, you just cannot script this stuff, can you, Simon? No, and when you say people of a certain age, you mean people of my age. That's what we're talking about here. Um, it was that is that is right at the peak of my uh, football watching life. I absolutely was all over it and broke my heart. But we we will see how it goes. But before all that, we've got some MMA to chat about, and uh, plenty went on at the weekend. Uh, the main attention, of course, was on on the UFC uh, back at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, and it was a big night for the UFC heavyweight division and a pair of contenders looking to get themselves back, uh, well, to get themselves right in the mix, potentially for a title shot. Cyril Gann versus Alexander Volkov. Those of you who listen to the show regularly will know that both myself and Mr. Sandu were relatively high on Alexander Volkov's uh, potential to win this fight. And as is the way with these things, Alexander Volkov went on to lose by unanimous decision. 50-45, 50-45 and 49-46 to Cyril Gann. Now, on paper, that's a dominant victory 
But was it enough to get Cyril Gann into that upper echelon and build a really compelling case for a title shot? I'll put McCullers to the mask right now, Sandu. But the answer from me is no. I don't think he did enough. I think he did enough to win the fight. He did enough to win the fight relatively clearly. He did exactly the same against Jarzino Rosenstroke previously. But was it a statement-making performance? I don't think it was. I don't think it was. What do you reckon? Because you've got to get in there with Francis and Garnu. If you're going to go in there with Francis and Garnu, you've got to show people that you can go in there and start starching people. And since he's reached that very high level, Cyril Garn, all that momentum seems to have completely slowed. And yeah, he's winning on the cards, but he's not... He's sort of flattering to deceive a little bit. Maybe I'm being harsh. What do you think? No, I, I totally hear where you're coming from, Simon, because we know and we've seen when Dana White in a post-fight press conference is fawning over a performance, it's usually something that's happened that's so spectacular, a big knockout or a big submission or a big moment in a main event. And what Cyril Gann has, I guess, shown everybody, especially over the last couple of performances against Rosenstroik and now against Volkov, he's gone the full 25 minutes in both fights, right? He's come out of these situations completely unscathed. Like, it is hard to hit this man and hit him with anything that's of significance. And what he's doing, I mean, you look at the damage that Volkov had on his face. He's landing, he's technical, he's fast, he's powerful. He's got some knockout victories on his record, but against the, the top-level competition over the last couple of performances, he hasn't really displayed that. But he's coming into these situations really, I guess, blasé about it, you know? He's just like, look, nine fights, nine wins, and six of those have been in the UFC against the best competition available in the world, right? That is incredible. And he's ranked number three right now i don't see that ranking changing because ahead of him you've got Derek lewis who's going to you know go on to fight francis and garnier looks like sometime in september and then ahead of Derek, you've got Stipe Miocic, the former champion and i mean look on paper if i was to script it i think it would be absolute scenes if at some point down the road simon francis Ngannou, the baddest man on the planet who used to sleep on the streets of paris would return to that country to defend his crown against this undefeated French phenom and former training partner in Cyril Gann. You, you just can't script that kind of stuff, right? But I feel like Cyril Gann probably needs one more fight and hopefully a statement-winning performance. Who that opponent is is going to be very interesting, Simon, because we spoke about this conveyor belt of contenders that the UFC is just churning out. And you've probably, you're, you're probably able to book Francis Ngannou if he's able to stay champion for at least the next 18 months without even thinking about a John Jones situation super fight. That's how crazy the, the heavyweight division is right now. Like I said, Derek Lewis is probably next. You've potentially got a Stephen Miocic trilogy fight. You've got maybe perhaps the winner of Curtis Blades and Jarzinho Rosenstrike at some point down the road as well. The situation that I can see presenting itself is perhaps Deepa Miocic wanting to stay busy, the UFC wanting to book him, and then perhaps what you can do, Simon, is Deepa Miocic versus Cyril Gann at some point later on this year to, I guess, produce the next legitimate number one contender for the heavyweight championship. What do you think? That'd be a hell of a main event or a co-main event to put on over here in Europe, wouldn't it? 
That would be an absolute banger. Um, we've seen Stipe fight over here in the UK before. He actually lost over here in the UK in Nottingham to Stefan Struve back in the day. Um, I think that I think that is the only fight for Gann that makes sense next. I think a fight with Curtis Blades is almost a step back at this stage. He's right there, and I think you just need if you beat the former champ, like arguably the greatest heavyweight champion of all time. There can be no more argument. You have to have a title shot after that, right? So, so that really is, I think, the only thing that that that, that could be next for him. So, uh, but that all depends on Stipe, doesn't it? That all depends on whether he wants to whether he wants to stay active, whether he wants to sit tight and wait. He's at that stage of his career where he probably could sit tight and wait. So, it's a tough one. Um, but yeah, Cyril Gann. I mean, he's winning fights, and you can't argue with wins in your record at the end of the day. But I think it feels like there's just a little bit a little bit of something missing. And as you say, he's he's pretty calm about it. And he is still young in his career. So that's why I asked him I'm being a little bit harsh. But, you know, maybe in five years, he'll be absolutely at his peak. Um, right now, I think he's probably one win, one good win away from getting a shot at the belt. And as you say, if he does get his shot and it is Francis Ngannou, you've got to do that fight in Paris. You've got to do that fight in Paris. And I think the way the world is sort of, gradually emerging from the covid crisis and the way that this heavyweight division is panning out the stars might just be aligned for that to happen maybe you know at some point early next year that might that might just be feasible uh to have that in an arena with fans in paris frenchman versus uh cameroonian french-speaking cameroonian for the heavyweight championship of the world that would be absolutely immense as for Alexander Volkov, Sandu, it's back to the drawing board. I mean, he's been there. He's got close and he's dropped down. He's got close and he's dropped down. Um, where does he go from here? This is this is a really difficult one because, to me, I thought he had the tools to win the fight on Saturday and he just he just couldn't get it done. He just couldn't couldn't really get his rhythm going and uh, Gan did what he needed to do to shut him down. But, I mean, what next for Volkov, do you think? Yeah, it's kind of a bit of a weird situation with him. Almost reminds me a little bit of Michael Bisping. Always a bridesmaid, never the bride. You know, Volkov has got some incredible wins on his resume. Alistair Overeem, Fabrizio Vadum, for God's sakes. But the, the losses, Derek Lewis, probably next you know, challenger for the title. Cyril Gann knocking on the door, Curtis Blades. Now, you know, we know that Curtis Blades is going to be fighting Jarzinho Rosenstrike next. It could just be, depending on what the situation is, the winner or loser of that particular contest. With Rosenstreich, it becomes a fresh matchup. With Curtis Blades, it becomes a rematch, and it allows him to get that one back because he lost to Curtis Blades already in the past, right? Um, so I think Volkov, I think, needs to just hang tight, sit back. And let's see how the next kind of uh, few fights in this division uh, play out uh, before, I guess, he makes his next move. Also, I think he's going to need to work on a lot of things because the performance against Cyril Gann, I don't know if he didn't let go of his hands enough, but like I said, Gann was completely unscathed coming out of that fight. It was pretty much a shutout, 50-45 on two of the judges' scorecards. So Volkov, over the course of 25 minutes, was not competitive at all against Cyril Gann. So something's going on there where Volkov's going to, to change things up um, before he kind of kind of comes back and tries to put together another string of wins to try and be in contention for a title at some point in the future. Yeah, 
yeah, it is a tricky, tricky spot. But we have seen people who sort of yo-yo uh, in and out of championship contention finally get their shot. And you mentioned Michael Bisbing. He finally got it done at UFC 199. So who knows? Maybe Alexander Volkov has another run uh, in the gas tank. So we'll see what happens with him next. We had heavyweights in the co-main event. No championship um, ramifications in this one. Tanner Boza versus Ovint St. Prue. And uh, Boza getting the second round knockout. Uh, St. Prue stepping up from, from light heavyweight. Uh, Boza's a, a pretty fun heavyweight to watch fight. He throws he throws his hands. He's, he's quite fun to watch. And uh, he got he got the job done. I mean, uh, you know, I think he's going to find himself in there with a bigger name next. But I'm not sure whether he's he's quite going to make it all the way to the top of the ladder. But he's certainly a, a, certainly a fun guy to have on the card, Sandu. Yeah, I know there's perhaps a little bit of controversy in terms of how that fight ended. And I'm yeah. kind of glad the UFC showed plenty of replays. Because in, at first glance, you thought he was kind of grabbing the cage to actually, you know, lift himself up and that kind of you know helped lead to the situation where he finished osp but in fact his 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 fists were closed and it was kind of just like um i guess i guess leaning against the cage to help give him a little bit of momentum so i don't think that's breaking the rules whatsoever but um but yeah good performance from him um and man over in saint peru simon i don't know i think it's time for him to go back to light heavyweight because he is one and three at heavyweight and i don't know it's just not working out uh, at, at the moment is it i mean he, i think he tried to go back to uh light heavyweight and it was a catch weight bout um you know he missed weight i don't know if you can figure that out but it's just i think he's oversized um at the heavyweight division um and, and i know things weren't going too well for him even at light heavyweight before he decided to make the jump to heavyweight so um yeah it's tough man one, two, three, four, five, six losses, Simon, out of his last nine. So Ovain St. Peru, you know, he's he's got to figure it out. And he's 38. Maybe this is the tail end of his career. He's not really getting the performances in, not really getting a, a string of wins together. Usually fighters jump up and down in weight class to try and reinvent themselves. But it just hasn't worked out for him. So who knows what happens next for OSP? Yeah, it's hard to see quite quite what his next move will be um and uh you know to see just just where he might land and whether he might have to follow uh follow a path in a different in a different uh organization who knows but uh someone who is beginning to forge a path for himself is timo valiev who i've been watching uh outside the ufc for a while he's been one of the best bantamweights in europe not signed to a major promotion for for a long time joined the ufc had a no contest uh on his ufc debut against trevin jones uh and has since bounced back with two wins martin day in february and then on saturday night roni barcelos in a great fight real back and forth fight barcelos had him in big trouble in that fight uh but somehow valley have managed to managed to battle through and earn himself a majority decision on the scorecards i think it was the right decision i know uh arguably he was the guy closest to being defeated if that was on pride scoring he would definitely have lost that fight but on the 10 point must system then it would uh undoubtedly uh have evened things out a little bit more because he, he was very good early in the fight so uh he got the fight done uh and uh picked up the win he's 18 2 and 1 or 18 and 2 with one no contest rather uh in the ufc 
and uh, he gave a spirited call out to uh, Sean Shelby, who was cage side. He wants to see, he wants to see some, uh, some 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 top draw opposition next. He wants someone with a number next to his name, and I think he deserves it. He's an exciting guy to watch fight, and the fact that he's shown a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, fallibility, if you like, because he was in big trouble against Barcelos late on in that fight. I think that just makes him even more entertaining to watch. Absolutely, Simon. I mean, Bantamweight has been delivering the goods for a, a good while now. And and here's another one, man. Timor Valiev just coming in. Great performance and give shouts to Ronnie Barcelos, man. You know, he was worthy of being in there with Valiev. And I genuinely feel like, you know, that fight could have gone either way. It was just a back and forth contest. And ultimately, I did have it in favor of Valiev. I scored it 29-28 myself. And I say this all the time, Simon, but... You're in a situation where you're, you've got a, a featured main card bout. You're in a division that everyone's talking about, right? You're in a division that you can quickly make a name for yourself in. What Valier did on that microphone was perfect. You know, he he he, he made it his it made his intentions known to the world. He wants a top fifteen ranked opponent next. He called out Sean Shelby, but in a, in a good way. You know, hey, I'm here. Your job is to be the matchmaker and get my next opponent. Make sure that's a top 15 ranked opponent next. And and here's someone also, Simon. Got to give credit where credit's due. You know, not born and raised in the English-speaking world, but has picked up enough English where, you know, he's able to talk and, and, and cut a promo like this and, and get a message across. And these little things go a long way in helping build your story and get your story out there and build a narrative and get fans to understand who you are and what you're about. It, you don't have to be completely fluent in English. I mean, all it took Khabib initially was it's Khabib time and I'm going to smash you and little words like this and that, that got an entire fan base that wasn't from his part of the world to rally behind him in so many different ways. So hugely impressed by Valiev. And, and like you said, Simon, his record's fantastic. So far in the UFC, completely unblemished and undefeated. And I can't wait to see what's next for him. Yeah, exciting stuff. And he trains with Frankie Edgar out of Tom's River uh, in, in New Jersey. So, you know, he's in there with some of the best guys in the world. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing just what he might be able to do at 135 pounds. Very, very fun fight to watch. Another fun fight that we had on Saturday night was the featherweight battle between Andre Feely and Daniel Pineda. And Feely put on an absolutely brilliant performance and it looked like everything was going his way. He had Pineda busted up. He had him hurt. He had him in all sorts of trouble. And then an accidental eye poke. Daniel Pineda unable to continue. The fight is ruled and no contest. Feely must have been absolutely gutted. Pineda admitted in his post-fight interview that Feely was basically kicking his ass. And, uh, you know, he wants he wants to run it back again. That was such a difficult one because the doctor goes in and assesses Daniel Pineda. But the issue here was that Pineda already had a really bad cut on his eye and I think I think the situation with that just made it worse um so that when Feely did the eye poke and it might not necessarily been the eye poke that forced the stoppage of the fight it could have been the cut but if it had been a cut it would have been a TKO so you know it's it's such a difficult one and I think they need to run it back I mean Feely was going to win that fight and uh, it's just a shame that it, it, it went the way it did. I don't think Pineda did anything out of order. I certainly don't think he was trying to get out of the fight. He was desperately trying to stay in the fight and uh, the doctor went, no, that's not happening. And uh, him and the referee, Herb Dean, basically just waved it off and, and rightly so. But harsh on Andre Feely because I thought that was a really good performance from him. 
Yeah, and eye pokes in general was a big talking point coming out of this event, Simon. There was eye pokes in the main event between Gan and Volkov as well. Uh, but, you know, the real talking point was the situation between Feely and Pineda. And, you know, I think it's fair to say, like you mentioned as well, that Feely was on his way to winning this fight and, and definitely finishing Pineda. And I don't know if it's running it back might be the best thing right now. Who knows how long Pineda is going to be out for? Feely looked great, fairly unscathed. He probably wants to get back in there um, as soon as possible. But yeah, I mean, you know, you know, eye poke is going to be a situation. I know there's big talks about changing the gloves. I would just like to see an effort made to see if we can try something new, whether it's new gloves and let's get a big enough um, pool of tests done. Um, call it a year of fights to see if that helps reduce the number of eye pokes. Um, that take place in contests with perhaps the Trevor Whitman gloves, or maybe the UFC um, can figure out a new way of modifying their gloves. I don't know what the, the best solution is, and I don't know if there's ever going to be the perfect solution, but anything that can be done to help reduce the number of eye posts. I mean, look at some fighters. Look at Michael Bisping, man. He's living the rest of his life with one eye, for God's sakes. you know, And that's because of eye pokes um, caused uh, and damage to the eye caused in, in fights, in, in mixed martial arts. So that's very unfortunate. Um, and the only other thing that I wanted to say about this is I know there was a bit of confusion. I think that was uh, help, you know, really brought on by the broadcast a little bit about the, uh, the allotted five minutes with regards to recovery and what have you. So I, I like the fact that rules every now and then get brought up in the broadcast and they got it right by the time the main event rolled around. But essentially, if you get kicked to the nuts, right, you get a, a shot to the groin, you know, you're, you're allowed five minutes to, to recover. When it's a, a situation when there's an eye poke, it's the referee's discretion of whether to give you up to five minutes, depending on the advice given to him by the physician, the doctor, once he has assessed the fighter, right? And I think there was some confusion and that I, I saw it in social media, Simon. Everyone thought, oh, why didn't, you know, Herb just give... Uh, Pineda the full five minutes and, and all the rest of it is that's not how it works um so I'm kind of glad that by the end of the broadcast that was cl clarified and and it was I guess um uh, mentioned a few times so that everyone that was tuning into that broadcast and, and the audience and the fans um got perhaps a little refresher a little reminder in case they were unfamiliar with that particular rule yeah no uh top stuff for for, for highlighting that as well because that is, you know, it's generally accepted. Five minutes as an injury, as an injury timeout, almost, you know. And uh, fighters rarely take the five minutes anyway. But in that situation, it's not quite that cut and dry. The referee has his has his discretion. But uh, yeah, it's just a shame. Obviously, it's a shame that Pineda's uh, hurt to the point that the fight couldn't continue. A shame for Andre Feely that he didn't get the uh, he didn't get the win that it looked like he was very close to getting. I mean. You know, that was 45, 46 seconds into the second round. Uh, I think he probably would have got the finish uh, in that round. So uh, we'll see what happens with both of those guys next. But Pineda will definitely have to sit for a while and uh, and heal up. That is for sure. Uh, kicking off the main card, Sandy, just to round off uh, our, our review of the main card here. Two former Cage Warriors champions were in action. And unfortunately for the pair of them, they both ended up on the wrong end of the result. We had Tim Means taking on former welterweight champion Nicholas Dalby. Uh, Dalby put on a good show, uh, came back strong at the end of the fight, but ended up losing 
29-28s across the board. And uh, Jai Herbert against uh, Hanato Moicano. That's a tough assignment, Hanato Moicano. Um, ended up getting taken down and, and pretty much dominated on the mat, really. He did well to sort of fend him off for as long as he did, but eventually succumbed to a rear naked choke uh, right at the end of that second round. So uh, a bit of a tough one for two guys familiar to uh, the British audience there. Yeah, I was especially gutted for... But actually, you know what? I was about to say I was especially gutted for Jai Herbert because he was kind of like uh, the the one Brit, the one Englishman on the um, on the card uh, that obviously as a British broadcast partner we're hoping can deliver the goods and, 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 and get the win. But I'm as equally as devastated for Nicholas Dalby only because we've covered him on the European circuit. He's had a fascinating story, you know, in the UFC, out of the UFC, fights his way back and, and all the rest of it. And credit to, to Dalby because that fight with Tim Means, man, that was an absolute banger. And if Valiev and Barcelos didn't do what they did, you know, later on in that card, I thought uh, Means and Dalby would have got, you know, fight of the night honors there and yeah. picked up a bit of a bonus because that was an incredible fight. Have to give credit to Tim Means as well, man. He's improved leaps and bounds. Some of his elbows and his, his elbow strikes are just vicious. Like, he's so good. And he's someone that not too long ago, everyone was kind of really high on. And, you know, he's had a few uh, ups and downs over over the course of his career as well. And, you know, picked up some losses perhaps in, in firefights. But he's finally put together, Simon, a three-fight win streak, which is the best run um, he's had since he actually joined uh, the UFC. He, he had a great run initially, uh, a four-fight win streak. And then he's just alternated a bunch of wins and losses and no contests and bits and pieces. And now he's finally finding a bit of form. So we'll see what's happening next for the Dirty Bird. Yeah, yeah. Always fun to watch. Both of those guys, Tim Means, Nicholas Dalby. That was supposed to be Tim Means versus Danny Roberts. Danny Roberts uh, had uh, had some COVID protocol issues that meant that he couldn't fight. Um, they moved the fight back a week, uh, I think, if I'm right, and uh, brought in uh, Nicholas Dalby. You know when Nicholas Dalby's in a fight, it's going to be a good fight. You know when Tim Means is in a fight, it's going to be a good fight. And as you say, I think they can consider themselves uh, a little bit unlucky not to be walking away with with uh, some sort of performance bonus. I wonder if they got a little cheeky locker room bonus because that was a good fight. That was one of the better fights on the card. Um, that, I think, is pretty much it um, for UFC Fight Night Volkov versus Garn or Garn versus Volkov. Um, at the UFC Apex. But that wasn't the only MMA we had this weekend. We had the PFL on uh, on, on Thursday night, or sorry, on Friday night, because both PFL and Bellator pretty much head-to-head, -head, which is a rarity. They've tended to keep themselves apart, but they were head-to-head -head on, on Friday. And uh, we now know how the playoff system is going to work and who's fighting who, Sandu. We certainly do. And so I'm going to go through each of the weight classes and, and then we can obviously have a quick a discussion. But... I think the big one from a British perspective is featherweight. Brendan Lochnane finished top of the group. Uh, number two, we have Chris Wade. Number three, Bubba Jenkins. And then number four is Movlid Haibulaev. And so it looks like we're getting number one versus number four. So Brendan Lochnane versus Movlid Haibulaev. And then number two versus number three, Chris Wade versus Bubba Jenkins. And my word, Simon, I mean... Brendan Lochnane is just two fights away from becoming a champion in a, in, a, in a big promotion in the PFL. But more importantly, I think for him and, and, his, and his future and his family's future, picking up a million-dollar paycheck. But, man, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, Simon. Movlid Haibulaev is freaking legit. He's undefeated. 
Um, I know all about him from my time spent at the PFL. And Brendan Lockney is going to have his hands full when he takes, takes on Movlid. And if he can get through Movlid, then I think he'll be the absolute, you know, bang on favorite to go all the way and, and win this thing. But I almost feel like between a semi-final and a final, this will be the harder contest because regardless of who wins between Chris Wade and Bubba Jenkins, I would heavily favor Brennan Lockhane to win. It's just that Movid Kobolaya fight is going to be a tough one. Yeah, it's it's interesting how that's panned out, isn't it? You've got uh, Brendan and, and Movlid who are both predominantly strikers, right? They're kind of, you know, they they tend to prefer to stand and strike. Both capable on the map, but they're, you know, they're strikers. That's what they're known for. Then you've got Chris Wade and Bubba Jenkins, who are probably more wrestling-based. Certainly, Bubba Jenkins is wrestling-based. And uh, Wade doesn't mind taking things to the mat as well. So the final, you're going to end up with a striker versus a wrestler, which I guess from a stylistic point of view keeps it interesting. But uh, you've got the two best strikers at 145 in the PFL going going head-to-head in one semi and maybe two of the best wrestlers in the 145-pound division going head-to-head. I think Tyler Diamond and Lance Palmer might have something to say about whether Chris Wade is better than them as a wrestler, but he's in the semis and they're not. So um, I think the smart money after week one was that we might see Brendan Lockname versus Bubba Jenkins in the final. And that's how it's panning out. You know, they both need to take care of business in the semifinals. But um, from the very first post-fight press conference where they were sort of joking around and Brendan's like, I'll see you in the final, son, and all this sort of stuff. Well, that's how it's all panned out. If they both get the job done, they're going to face off in the final for that featherweight belt and a $1 million prize check. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I love the PFL format. I think it's great. I don't, you know, there's no politics involved. It is all down to your performances inside the cage. And that's what I love about it. And, uh, you know, for, for someone like Brendan, who was on the verge of something really big with the UFC and was kind of made an example of uh, unfairly, I thought, uh, by, by, by Dana White, by him not getting a contract. There's been a lot, many, many fighters not even fit to lace Brendan Lockname's boots have been given contracts in the UFC while he was basically made an example of and, and not signed. Uh, so for him to get to the semi-final stage of the PFL, if he can go through beat Movlid, uh, which will be a, a big achievement, then get to the final and win that, then that, you know, that really is a statement that, uh, you know, maybe maybe the guys at the UFC, while they know most things about the sport, maybe they got it wrong with Brendan Lochnane. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to how this pans out. And the rest of the weight divisions as well, there's all sorts going on. I mean, just quickly running through them. Uh, heavyweight division is absolutely wide open. Uh, Bruno Capaloza taking on Jamel Jones. Dennis Goltsov versus Anti Delizia. Uh Light heavyweight, I think, is going to be very interesting. Emiliano Sordi, who is the defending champion, is seeded fourth in the semifinals. Uh, and he's taking on Antonio Carlos Jr., a.k.a. Uh, Shoeface, uh, in the uh, in the semis. And Cesar Ferreira versus Norway's Martin Hamlet. So there's lots going on. And there's, you know, we've got Kayla Harrison knocking around in the, in, in the women's lightweight division. Loads going on. It's going to be great because we're in the business end now. And just like when you watch a football tournament, the group stages are all fun and all fun and dandy and it's all fine. But it's when you get to the knockout stages where it's win or go home time, that's when you really see people at their best. And I'm looking forward to the knockout stages here in the PFL. It's going to be a lot of fun. It is. And the, 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 I think the group of death, Simon, to, to use a bit of a, a footballing term, is welterweight because 
the four fighters that have made it through to the semifinals, Jesus Christ, Jao Zaffarino, who's obviously come through with two wins uh, during the regular season. So he's coming in with top form and he's seeded number one. He's going to be taking on Magomed Magomed Karimov, who was the 2018 champion and unfortunately couldn't proceed any further in the 2019 championship because of injury. Otherwise, he yep. could have been a back-to-back champion. And then we've got Rory McDonald versus Ray Cooper III. Ray Cooper III actually went on and won the 2019 championship. And Rory McDonald is obviously one of the big key signings from the PFL over the course of the last 18 months. He's a former Bellator welterweight champion, fought for the UFC welterweight championship. I mean, those four right there, welterweight is where it's at. I mean, obviously, we're going to keep an eye on Brendan Lochlin and have things go at featherweight. We certainly expect Kayla Harrison to go on and do the business, become a back-to-back champion and, and probably move on uh, to the UFC where there's going to be much bigger paydays and much bigger fights for her. But right now, if you're looking at the division that could produce the best fights, produce the most shocking moments, the one that's probably most evenly contested in terms of the level of competition, when you're talking about elite level mixed martial artists, it's all about welterweight for me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, uh, I think, I just think, you know, the format of all of this, the format of all of this is just, is, is, is just great. I, I wish we had more tournament MMA. I love tournament MMA. I love the fact that we've got these fighters who, you know, you mentioned Magomed Makarimov, you know, he's unfortunate in that because he missed one, you know, you know, because he picked up an injury, that's his entire season done. And that's, that's why it's so hard you know, uh, and why the model of having a season and a tournament is so cutthroat and so difficult because you've got, it's not just, you know, having to win fights, you've got to stay fit, you've got to stay healthy, you've got to show up for fight night. And, uh, you know, we see so many fights cancelled and and pushed back and all the rest of it. And it makes tournament MMA very difficult, which is why I think the UFC probably doesn't do it um, too much. But uh, yeah, I just love the fact that we have different differing products out there. You know, you've got the UFC product, you've got the Bellator product, and we've got the PFL product. And I think uh, I think there's 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 room for all three. And uh, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be very exciting seeing how all that pans out in the coming months. But we have PFL, we also have Bellator, Sandu. Um, so you know, it's it's there's all sorts going on. Wasn't the most stellar uh, of of, uh, of of fight nights, if I'm honest with you. Um, but we had some we had some decent decent action coming from the Mohegan Sun. Uh, Tim Johnson uh, looking to get that interim heavyweight title couldn't quite get it done, and uh, another team Fedor man on top of the world, Sandu. They're beginning to take over, aren't they? They certainly are. I mean, you've got Valentin Moldavsky now, who's the interim heavyweight champion, and and I'm assuming he'll go on now to fight Ryan Bader uh, for that heavyweight. Oh, sorry. It is Ryan Bader. He is a heavyweight champion, right, Simon? He is indeed. Yeah, he's he's the he's the heavyweight champion. He's looking to get the light heavyweight belt back. So he's involved in the uh, the Grand Prix tournament right now. So they've done the uh, they've done an interim belt with Moldavsky versus Johnson uh, in order to set up an interim champ. All the while Bader's in a tournament, and then when Bader's back, he'll take on Moldavsky for the uh, for the the newly unified title. Yeah. So that's going to happen. Um, and obviously, you know, Ryan Bader, he's been jumping up and down between those two weight classes. He's dropped his light heavyweight title. Um, man, we've seen, you know, a, a few fighters that we thought were going to perhaps 
the the strongholds of uh, of the better tour weight classes um drop some belts you know ryan bader dropping the light heavyweight belt douglas lima dropping uh, the welterweight belt so it's all shaken up over at bellator and i guess the only other thing that i remember coming through on social media from that bellator broadcast was the fact that liz carmouche got a fantastic tko win she finished her opponent kana watanabe within 35 seconds of the first round and of course you know the gorilla you know synonymous with being involved in the very first female mixed martial art contest in the ufc uh, when she took on ronda rousey in the main event of ufc 157 but she's signed to bellator she's now put on the best run of her career um since i guess signing with the ufc you know three fights in a row and they've all been under the bellator banner she's fighting consistently is she next nine for the title shot i think so I think she has to be. I think she has to be. Yeah. I think that, you know, the narrative leading into that fight was always that Liz Carmouche is there or thereabouts. The one thing she hasn't done is really made a statement and, and, and got that finish. And Josh Thompson on the desk was sort of ramming that point home over and over and over again, leading into the fight. And Liz Carmouche comes out and absolutely lights up Kana Watanabe like a Christmas tree. 35 seconds, TK, standing TKO, uh, good stoppage as well. You don't have to knock people out clean uh the referee saw that there was only you know it was only gonna be more damage coming so good stoppage by the ref and uh yeah and and Carmouche isn't a huge talker when it comes to making call outs but you know she made it very clear i want the belt next i want the belt next and uh you know she deserves a shot uh and uh you know i think i think she fully fully deserves it juliana velasquez is taking on uh denise kilholz in uh what will be her first defense of the flyweight belt having won it uh previously but now we now know who's going to fight the winner of that so if denise kilholtz wins it'll be kilholtz versus liz Carmish. if uh velasquez keeps her undefeated record then she will take on uh the historic uh liz Carmish, who is the first female fighter to ever set foot in the ufc octagon um and uh you know that's 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 quite a that's quite a special thing and now she's over in bellator She's she's had two shots at world titles in the UFC. Now it looks like she's on a you know she's going to get one in Bellator. So uh, all props to her. So uh, yeah, we will see how all that pans out. But yeah, Bellator Bellator decent decent enough uh, fight night. But big things coming down the pipe, of course, with uh, Patricio Pitbull versus AJ McKee just around the corner. Look out for that. But um, yeah, busy week, Sandu. Busy week. We had the Cage Warriors trilogy as well. Just to keep you. Uh, very very briefly up to speed with that we had cage warriors one two three one two four and one two five and there was plenty in all of those but just to give you the main highlights cage warriors 123 matt bonner defeating Nathias frederick via fourth round submission uh to become the new middleweight champion bonner who's been around the block for a while worked his way up the ladder taking on uh Nathias frederick who thunderous puncher absolutely Te terrifying power bonner went in there took everything frederick could throw at him and uh broke him down and submitted him great performance from him with the rematch between christian duncan and will curry two guys who have got big futures in the sport uh, there was a slightly controversial finish the first time they fought they fought again and uh this time uh christian leroy duncan getting the win on the scorecards 29 28s and uh it was it was pretty clear cut 
and uh, so we'll see what happens to both of those guys moving forward. That was 123 on Thursday night. Friday night saw Cage Warriors 124, where we saw another champion lose his belt. Aggie Sardari lost his uh, Cage Warriors lightweight title to Joe McColgan, who's been there or thereabouts for so, so long. He finally becomes a Cage Warriors world champion. Guillotine choke, round three, gets the job done. He's now a Cage Warriors champion at 155 pounds. That was a huge, huge win for him. Uh, all the best to him. You know, one of those guys who's been plugging away for years has finally got his just just rewards. And uh, Cage Warriors 125 was really all about one man. Ian Gary, the future, uh, he's the present now, let's be honest. Uh, welterweight, he defeated Jack Grant in the welterweight tournament final. Uh, unanimous decision win, dominant. 50-45, 50-44, 50-44. He's now the welterweight champ. Sadly, there seems to have been some sort of falling out between him and the team that really got him to this point, uh, Team KF, uh, run by uh, run by Chris Field, Chris Fields uh, over in Ireland, and it seems like there's been a parting of the ways, which is which is which is sad because uh, you know they've they've worked their way up together, and and uh, Gary has has been very successful, but they've gone their separate ways. Gary is now the welterweight champion of cage warriors and uh he's got a big personality and uh plenty plenty of fighting skill to match and uh i suspect it won't be long before we see him knocking on the door of the ufc uh if not already he's i think he's got the potential to go in there and and and, and become a bit of a star so uh yeah a big week for cage warriors who are heading to uh to to your side of the pond in august sandu they're going to be doing a show in san diego on august the 1st over in California. That'll be Cage Warriors 126. That'll be their next event. So, uh, yeah, the next time we see events involving Cage Warriors, it will be from the United States of America rather than the UK. So uh, looking forward to seeing how all that pans out. Yeah, I believe they've signed Angela Hill, who's going to be helping out um, on the broadcast, which is a great move. Um, and, yeah, I think just looking back on this past weekend's trilogy event, the guy that's kind of come through... Um, at least from what I can see on social media, is Ian Gary. He had, like, obviously a controversial story going into the weekend, just given the fact that he's parted with his team. He's undefeated. He's 7-0. He's a welterweight. He is a Cage Warriors champion. I know a lot of people are already thinking, you know what, the UFC should sign him up. He's been very open in his interviews um, with other media members, Simon, where he's basically said he doesn't want to go the Bellator route. So he's narrowed his options to just, boom, cage warriors and that's going to be a stepping stone to the ufc and obviously you know the ufc and cage warriors have got a great relationship personally though i would love to see cage warriors at some point as the world starts to open up again hold an event in ireland go back to dublin have ian gary defend his championship just the one time just to put on a performance for the irish crowd really have that almost like a conor mcgregor moment where they can get behind him before he perhaps makes that jump up to the UFC. Not too different to, you know, we've seen, we saw a great moment with Paddy Pimblett in Liverpool at the Echo Arena. Uh, and and you know, here we are a few years later and he's in the UFC. So I'd love to see that happen uh, for Ian Gary. But yeah, he is a great prospect to be looking out for. 7-0, and looking solid at the moment. Um, someone to get, to get excited about coming out of that Irish scene. And speaking of Irishman, Simon... You know, the big one's coming up in, what, less than two weeks now. Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, the trilogy 
Las Vegas, a sold-out T-Mobile arena. I know we're going to do a full-on preview show next week. We'll, we'll talk about all the stories, all the narratives going into that particular contest, uh, the rest of that card. But right now, as we're just less than two weeks out, Simon, how are you feeling? What's the buzz like? What's the anticipation like? And um, what do you think we might be getting from this particular event during fight week in Las Vegas, which is really the UFC's home? And it's talking talking about coming home. The UFC have now finally come home in terms of the T-Mobile arena out of the apex. It's going to be, you know, coming out of the July 4th Independence Day weekend. Vegas is going to be packed. What are you thinking? I think we're going to see some classic Conor McGregor. I think... I think we saw the uh, the amiable Conor McGregor leading into the second Dustin Poirier fight. You know, he was he was very open, he was very calm, he was very collected, and he went out there and got beat. I wonder whether we're going to see the return of the brash, outspoken, uh, spectacular Conor McGregor, whether it be the press conferences or whether it be the performance itself. This fight is enormous for Conor McGregor. Yes, he's the UFC's biggest star. Yes, he is the UFC's biggest earner. But is he a contender at lightweight right now? No, because he's he's coming off a loss. He's only won one fight at 155 pounds in the UFC, full stop. And if he wants to fight for a UFC belt again, and I think he does, he's got to beat somebody. And that somebody has got to be Dustin Poirier. So that's a huge fight for him. Welterweight is an option for him. But to have any kind of credibility going into welterweight, he still needs to beat Dustin Poirier. If he gets stopped again by Dustin Poirier, then you know it's it's a really tricky one for him. So I'm expecting him to come out all guns blazing for this one. Um, he, I think he acknowledges how Poirier broke him down in the rematch, and I suspect we're going to see a much more aggressive, uh, strong, powerful Conor McGregor in this rematch. And I, I cannot wait to see how they both approach this, but. I suspect it won't be quite as uh, cordial in the lead up to this one because McGregor got into Poirier's head for the first fight and that really played into the result. And the second time round, there was none of that second time round. And they just went out there and fought their fights and Dustin Poirier had the better game plan and won the fight. This time round, I think Connor's going to be loud, brash and uh, aggressive. And uh, I'm here for it. I can't wait. It's going to be good fun. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. It's like... It's the biggest fight of the summer. You know, you, you throw your MMA and your boxing, everything that the combat sports world can throw at you um, during the summer. Poirier McGregor 3, the trilogy, that's the biggest fight. It's going to have the biggest buzz. It's going to generate the most traffic. And it's going to be a spectacular event either which way. And, you know, it's, it's a great moment for Connor, but it's equally as big of a moment for Dustin Poirier. You know, we rarely see trilogies in their prime the third fight usually happens so far down the road that it's well past the fighters prime but you know the, you know the, the first two fights have taken place within their prime connor was on, on his way up dustin poirier was already a um you know a fixture in terms of the ufc roster and they fought again earlier this year it was the comeback from connor mcgregor dustin poirier has been fairly active connor mcgregor talked about the, the lack of inactivity, you know, immediately in his post-fight interview. He's locked himself away from his family. He's been in California for the last couple of weeks. Um, he, he seems, from his social media, fairly zeroed in 
we won't really understand uh, the psychology and where everyone is at until fight week rolls around and we get the press conferences and you know the the media days and, and all the interviews and everything else that rolls out with it but man i'm absolutely buzzing bt sport by the way are going to do a fantastic job there's so much content to be rolling out um, promos and previews and, and all the rest of it so keep it locked on bt sport both on uh, the the linear channel and as well as the social media channels because there's gonna be some great content and yeah i'm absolutely buzzing simon and i can't wait to do the full-on preview show with you about it next week yeah absolutely it's going to be a big one next week i'm really looking forward to it should we do some very very quick very very quick way too early predictions for the main card just to wrap things up uh, sure. for this week's show uh we've got a five fight main card Poirier McGregor, Gilbert Burns, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Taitui Vasa versus Greg Hardy. What a fight that's going to be. Irene Aldana versus Yana Kunitskaya and Sean O'Malley versus Lewis Smolker. So let's start at the bottom and work our way up. So let's do O'Malley versus Smolker at Bantamweight. Uh, quick fire picks. Who have you got? I've got Sugar Sean on that one, Simon. Yep. I'm going to go with Sugar Sean as well. Irene Aldana versus Yana Kunitskaya. This is a big one at Bantamweight. The winner of that is going to be right up there with a potential chance of challenging for the belt perhaps later this year. So which way are you leaning for this one? Going to pick Irene Aldana, Simon. This is going to be very boring because I'm picking the same as you. I think her boxing will be, will be the difference maker there. And uh, if we're talking about striking, this is going to be an absolute banger. Tie to Ivasa versus Greg Hardy. Whew, it's going to be a big one. Which one Which one of these two huge men is going to walk away with the bonus check uh, for winning that fight? This one's a bit of a tricky one for me to pick, if I'm being honest. Um, but I think I'm going to lean towards Taitu Ivasa. I'm down for him to do a shoey afterwards as well. Yeah, I'm going to go with Greg Hardy. I think he's improving. He's improving with each, each fight. Yes, he's lost a couple, but I, th I, think, I think he's showing those improvements. And I think if he... If, if he goes in there with the uh, with tied two of us and starts swinging hands, I think he might get it done. I think it's going to be an absolute banger. I don't think it's going to go past two rounds though. So uh, give me give me the Prince of War. I'll go with Greg Hardy on that one. Now we're into welterweight contenders: Gilbert Burns versus Wonderboy Thompson. This is a cracker of a matchup. Which way are you going? I'm picking Stephen Thompson here, Simon. I think Stephen Thompson stylistically is the toughest matchup in the welterweight division. So all credit in the world. To Gilbert Burns for t for taking this match, and to be honest with him, to be honest with you, I think him beating Stephen Thompson puts him right back in the mix anyway, because I think Thompson's been one of the most avoided fighters at 170 pounds. But that being said, I just think Stephen Thompson, especially over the course of 15 minutes, can do enough uh, and be quick and speedy and active and 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 pick you out and and get a decision victory over you. So I'm picking Wonderboy here. Yeah, and the final. Oh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Gilbert Burns. I think Gilbert Burns will get this done. I think. Uh, I think he gets Stephen Thompson to the mat and uh, finishes him with his jiu-jitsu. Uh, I think if he stays on the outside, Thompson just peppers him with strikes for for three rounds. And I think Burns will walk through those, get him to the mat, and uh, and and have his way with him with his jiu-jitsu. So uh, it's a close one. That could go either way. It's a real coin flip fight. As for coin flips, which which side of the coin are you going with in the main event? Will it be? Dustin Poirier, will it be Conor McGregor? What do you reckon? The Mac will be back, Simon. I'm picking Conor McGregor uh, to win this fight, end the trilogy 2-1, and then go on to, who knows, fight for the title or the Diaz trilogy or bigger and better things. I just feel like um, when Conor McGregor's focused, 
um, when he's, you know, in, wants an immediate rematch. You, know, you look back at uh, the situation with Nate Diaz. He lost Nate Diaz, and he was the one that was calling for the immediate rematch, you know, straight away. And, you know, since January, you know, this is all he's been focused on is, is getting another chance to fight Dustin Poirier. And I feel like, who knows, maybe the occasion might be too big for Dustin Poirier. 20,000 people, T-Mobile Arena versus Conor McGregor, whole different ball game, right? Compared to, say, a small, you know, arena with uh, maybe a couple of hundred people, right? Fight week's going to be completely different. The only thing comparable to this for Dustin Poirier is when he fought Khabib Magomedov in Abu Dhabi. But even this is going to be night and day compared to that. This is where Conor McGregor thrives. There's going to be a lot of people there. There won't be an influx of Irish this time around, like uh, previous Conor McGregor fights, just because of, I guess, COVID protocols. But this man has got a global fan base. And I think there's going to be a, a real pro Conor crowd uh, come fight night. And that could help um, sway things. And Poirier is going to have to be steel-like to really uh, you know, avoid all that, you know, keep his mind focused on the task at hand. Uh, but if he thinks he's going to be fighting the same Conor from January, then um, he would have really underestimated him. I think we're going to see uh, the Connor of old and, and, and a Connor that's going to be in top form come Saturday night next week. Yeah, I, I, I tend to think we're going to see McGregor back at his best. I, I, I just I get that feeling that when, when, it's, when, when all the chips are down and McGregor is fully focused, he is, he is still one of the best fighters in the world. And I think that that defeat will have focused him even more. And, you know, the fact it's a trilogy, they're one win each. He knows he's got to go and win this one. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing just what version of Conor McGregor we're going to get during fight week and then what version of Conor McGregor we're going to see uh, on fight night. But, uh, yeah, give me Conor McGregor. And I know it's going to come across incredibly uh, disrespectful to Dustin Poirier, who won the fight legitimately and clearly a uh, second time round. But that didn't seem to me like we saw the peak Conor McGregor in that fight. So... If we can get the peak Conor McGregor back in there against the peak Dustin Poirier, I'm going to have to side with Conor McGregor. So uh, that's that's how I'm going to see it right now. Maybe we'll change our mind during fight week. We will we will bring all that to you um, when we build up to uh, the huge night in Vegas, July 10th uh, on next week's show. But I think, Sandu, that is pretty much all we have time for this week. Yep. So the BritPackMMA.com is the spot that we want everyone to go to from there you can follow us on social media both simon myself and as well as the show uh, there are links to spotify and, and apple and if you do listen to us on apple Podcasts, please rate and review us because that really helps us go a long way in terms of getting found and getting promoted on the apple podcast platform and finally youtube check us out on youtube the show is there every single week it's an audio only version and if you like to listen to your podcast via the YouTube app or perhaps in the background on one of your web browser tabs, you can do that on our YouTube channel as well. That is going to be a video product. We are so excited about the future of this show and the Brit Pack brand in total with regards to the future that we're, we're building on YouTube. Um, so get on board with us early because uh, there'll be some really exciting announcements in the not too distant future there. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Uh, we're building up to some fun stuff. So, uh, yeah, stick with us and uh, we will bring you plenty more uh, MMA chat. And, uh, you know, we are called the Brit Pack for a reason. And uh, we will be building on that 
over the course of the next few weeks and months as well. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all we have time for on this week's edition of the show. Thanks for checking us out. And don't forget, hit that subscribe button, hit the like button, subscribe on YouTube, all that good stuff. And, of course, enjoy the fights. Uh, however you're getting them this weekend. No huge uh, fight cards this weekend, but uh, if you're having a weekend off, have a nice weekend off and get yourselves ready for that huge UFC pay-per-view, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier 3. We'll speak to you to build up to it all next week. Yeah.